Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, our passage, it begins in verse 8, but I had Rainier, and thank you so much, Rainier, for reading that passage and, um, and just letting it sink in to the depths of our soul as we begin and as we, uh, as we then prayed and, and heard that prayer and uh, joined our hearts together in that way. And we read, the, um, we read the entire passage, 2, 1 through 10. Last week, we looked at the bad news, and it was bad. Um, there's nothing worse than dead, <laughs> right? That you're dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That is the bad news. And the other bit of the bad news is that we have been born into this world of this kind of interconnected web of powers that seek to distract us and ensnare us and form us into the ways and the patterns of this world. And that there are, there's this kind of web, we called it this interlocking directorate of powers that range from the fallenness and corruption of the entire world to per, the personal devil and demons to the fallenness that we experience in our own persons, the, the flesh, our own propensity to go the wrong way. And we are born into this, and that's bad. That's, I mean, that is bad news. But as Rainier read in our passage, but God, who is rich in mercy, that He loves with love, He pours out, He lavishes grace, and even when we were dead, and that's at just the right time, right? This is the way God works, at just the right time, while we were still weak, while we were still sin, in the sin, while we were dead, that is when God says, I'm reaching out to you. And that's what we call grace. We'll talk more about grace today, but God being rich in mercy, that He then, um, He makes it this, as he, He's talking about this, He says, by grace you have been saved. Look at 2.5. As he's reading this, even when you were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And then he makes this parenthetical statement, by grace you have been saved. And today what we're going to do is at the end of this passage, beginning in verse 8, Paul's going to expand on this idea that we've been saved by grace. And what I was praying this morning, we meet every morning before, um, before the service starts to pray and to ask God to, to help us. And my prayer is like, uh, God this is an awesome passage. Uh, don't let me mess it up. <laughs> like, like, there's part of this passage where it's like, let's just read this and then like, let, let's be dismissed in just the, the beauty of the passage. But, um, but today what I want to do is I, I just this idea for by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast, for we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that, I mean, that, that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And today I want to take note of this idea. Really, there's four things. One, what is salvation? What do we talk, like these are all, these are, this is the Christianese, right? This is the Christianese. These are the sorts of terms. I remember when I first became a believer, um, one of the things uh, in, in my, you you realize when you come to faith in Christ and you get into a church that people start talking differently than they do out in the normal world. Like people asked me, um, like, hey, once I became a Christian, they're like, well, where do you fellowship? And I was like, well, I'm not even in college yet. How can I have like a fellowship? Like there's, you know, like these are different things. Or like somebody said, well, we're going to go out and we're going to go witnessing. 
And I'm like, witness, well, you can just go look for like accidents or something like that or crimes and you're going to like, but I understood right later that this was, this was the, the language, the stock language. And I, I, what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to just walk through some of the kind of stock terms that are in this passage, some that maybe over the years have just, we just take them and we hear a word like salvation or we hear a word like grace or we hear a word like faith. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, I know what those mean. And just to kind of reset and to ask the question like, well, what is salvation? What is grace? And what's the role of grace in salvation? What is faith? And what's the role of faith in salvation? What comes first? Does faith come first or does grace come first? Like, how do we understand this? And then ask the question, like, what then, what about my, what about my, like, my abilities and my skills and my energy to get something done on behalf of God? Like, what do I do with that? How does that work and how does that all play? And so I want to talk about salvation, grace, faith, and works. It's pretty simple stuff this morning, right? All right, never mind. I'm, that's a joke. Like, you think that simple Simple. So, let's just talk a little bit about salvation, and then we'll talk about um, what we're entering into, the complexities of this. Like, if you went to, you know, you don't want your, your, your um, you don't want, when you're doing your taxes, you don't want your accountant to just say, oh yeah, the tax code is simple. Like, you don't want an accountant who just thinks everything's simple. You want an accountant who thinks things are complex, and like, I got to understand this well. And so sometimes when we're sitting in here, we're like, I just want simple answers. You're like, you don't, exp- you don't, want, simple, you don't want simple from your, your accountant or from your doctor or from your mechanic. Like you, you want them to understand some complexity and you yourself might want to understand some of that complexity as well. So as we kind of work through this, that we, we, want to, we kind of want to lean into the idea that there is some complexity. So let's talk about this idea of salvation. You guys with me? All right, this is good. Salvation. When we talk about salvation, the heart of the idea of salvation in the Bible is this. Salvation is some kind of rescue from danger. Sometimes salvation is talking about physical healing. Sometimes salvation is talking about being delivered from your human enemies who want to kill you. Sometimes salvation is referred to in kind of in the spiritual sense. We talk about spiritually dead, being made spiritually alive. But at the heart of it, salvation is this idea of some kind of rescue from danger. And when we're talking about this idea, you have been saved, as we read in this passage, you have been saved, that salvation, as we, as we hear about it in the New Testament, is kind of a series of movements, a series of movements that are described by these metaphors. For example, salvation is moving from death to life, right? We, you, were, you, were what, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God has made you alive together with Christ. A movement from death to life. Or a movement out of darkness and into light. And we use, that, we use a term like, you've been enlightened, that the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Or this idea that you are, it's a movement from guilt to not just innocence, but righteousness, from guilt to righteousness. And the metaphor, the term, is the term justification for that. Or the idea that you ha- you're moving from slavery into freedom. And the term for that is you have been redeemed. Or that you have been, you've moved from, uh, from, being, from enmity or being an enemy with God 
to being embraced by God. We call, and the term that's used is called reconciliation. So there's all these metaphors in salvation, but essentially salvation is this idea of rescue from danger and a movement into well-being, wholeness, health, whether that's a metaphor or whether that's literal. And this idea of, of being, of, of salvation, this movement, and as we look at Ephesians, one of the things that we want to look at and what Paul is going to say is salvation is a movement from being under kind of the, the control, the formation of these, this conglomerate of powers, the fallenness of the world, devils, angels, uh, and, and our own fallenness, human rulers, the sons of disobedience, being under this kind of web of formation and being moved into the, a new web, a web in which the sensibilities of the kingdom reign, in which there's empowerment of the spirit, in which you don't, you're not surrounded by the sons of disobedience, but you're surrounded by the sons of God, the daughters of God, into community. And we, we come out of one web and we move into another web that is a more, that the, the, the fellowship, if you will, of, of God. And so when we, when we talk about this, in this way, salvation is a movement from one sphere of influence to another sphere of influence. Last week, we talked about that being on the path, right? That there's a two-path idea, that you're either walking on one path, the path of wickedness, or you're walking on another path, the path of righteousness. And this idea that salvation is a movement off of one path and onto another path. These are all metaphors that are that are um, in the New Testament and that help us to understand what it is that we're trying to do. All right, so that's salvation. Is that simple enough? That's the idea that we're moving from one realm, from one sphere, and we're moving into another sphere. Now, how does that happen? And it's an interesting thing about the verb to save. Look at verse, um, look at verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That verb, um, you have been saved. It's really interesting when we think about when Paul uses this term, sometimes he refers to salvation, this movement from one thing to another. Sometimes he refers to it in the past tense, like you were saved, past. It's done, completed in the past. Sometimes, well, actually what he uses it mostly for is for the future, that Paul will talk about you will be saved. That's, the mo that's actually the more often Paul will talk about it in the future. But he does talk about it in the past, and there are times where Paul will talk about salvation as being in the present. You are currently experience, experiencing being saved. And so this term, it doesn't have one way that Paul uses it in terms of time. That you were saved, you will be saved, and you're currently being saved. And as we think about salvation, that we want to think about this in, in terms that Paul implies that salvation is something that happens in all of these time periods. As a matter of fact, in this passage, if you look at it, he doesn't actually say either you were saved or you will be saved or you are being saved. What he says is, what does he say? He says, you have been saved. Now, that's significant because that's a whole nother thing than those three. So here, I'm going into geek mode for a second, okay? We'll shift into that geek mode. This is what's called the perfect tense in Greek. It's the perfect tense. And it has this idea, actually, technically, this is a paraphrastic perfect. I know that some of you were very excited about that. Um, but what it has, and the idea is that 
the perfect tense means that when you talk about something that you have been saved, when you talk about that, it implies something that has been completed in the past with ongoing present implications. So it's not you were saved, it's you have been saved. And it might say, it's a nuance. Now, this is the thing. When you, go to your, when you go to your accountant, when you go to your mechanic, you want them to know nuance, right? You don't want them to be simple. You want them to know the nuances of it. And this is the thing, that salvation, when we think, and because this is one of the things about, even in our own context, and maybe my own context, when I heard the gospel, in many ways, when I heard the gospel, it was about, look, one day in the future, you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God. And it's either going to be heaven or hell for you in the future. This is all for the future. And what decision you make right now is going to affect that. Okay? Now, in that way, that gives us a sense of that salvation is something that has not already yet happened. Right? Like, I'll be saved when I die and I face God. I'll have salvation. But what, what we're, what's happening here is that Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Even before you showed up on the scene, there was something that happened about your salvation. It was completed. And now you're currently experiencing salvation. And one day you will see the, the total completion of that salvation. It is something that happens at all times. This is not simply this idea, you know, pray this prayer and you'll be saved from hell. You know, it's kind of like pray the prayer, set it and forget it, right? And then you can move on. And we love things like that in our lives because it's like, look, all I need to do is set it and forget it. It's like a crock pot or something like that. And, you know, I don't even know what's going on, and I don't have anything to do with what's going on. It just happens. And then I open it up, and boom, I have, you know, a great stew or something like that. But this idea of salvation is past completion, present implications, and future certainty. What we want to do and what we want to kind of lean into here is to hear Paul. What is more important to remember is that salvation is not simply being saved from hell, but it's also the process in which we are being disentangled from this web of powers in the world. This process in which we are being disentangled from the, the formative forces in our world, from people, who, from advertisers, from the devil, from the fallenness, from our own sin, from governments that might have us do things that we don't think are Christ-like, that we're being disentangled from that. It's not just something that is going to happen. It's something that is happening, and it's something that did happen. He freed us. He's disentangling us, and one day he will make all things right. This is salvation. That is the nature of salvation. And so Paul says, look, you have been saved. You have been saved in a paraphrastic perfect. My Greek students would be so excited about paraphrastic perfects. Anyway, um, so the question then, here's the question. How does this happen? How does it happen? And this is again where I want to just go into this aside on complexity. Like what's God's role in the process? What's our role in the process? Now, every once in a while, my car breaks down. 
I know it only happens to me, never happens to you, okay? It won't start, right? And so I call AAA, I have it towed to the mechanic, and I say, um, hey, John, that's my mechanic's name, otherwise I wouldn't call him John. Um, John, uh, will, you, will you fix my car? And um, every once in a while, I'll say, like, what, I need to know what's wrong with my car. But that's a different question, right? Like, I need to know what's wrong with my car, and can you fix my car? Those are two different questions. Because John will always say, I can fix your car, but I don't know if I can explain to you exactly the way things have gone wrong. Like, he can say, there's varying degrees of simplicity. I needed to replace the starter motor, right? Maybe that's it. I'm like, there's two motors in my car. There's one that runs it, and there's one. Anyway, all that to say, I don't know, but I want my mechanic to know the nuances. I want him to explain. Now, if John were here, he could probably give you 30 minutes on what a starter motor is and how one works, right? I certainly would hope he would be able to. And there are people in here who could do the same thing. Um, maybe at the same time, you might, he, I mean, you could go more than 30 minutes. You could take a whole class on starter motors, right? You could, do, you could spend a lot of time, you could do a doctoral dissertation on starter motors. So the issue of complexity, there is complexity in this. And I don't want to make this sound too simplistic. And we're, I mean, look, typically complexity equals it, it, the nuances that go with explaining something go with the complexity of the parts. And it just so happens that we're talking about salvation in which human beings, the most complex organism on the face of the planet, are being reconciled to the creator of the universe, the most complex being in the universe. Like my taxes, or my car, or my doctor and my health, those pale in comparison to the complexity. And I think sometimes, just a little bit before we kind of get into this, sometimes we just want simplistic answers about, well, how does salvation work? Well, pastor, do you believe this, or do you believe this? And it's like, look, how much time do you have? Like, how much nuance do you want to get? And I do think that there is, there's, there, there is a simplicity to the way that God is doing this. And it's a beautifully elegant simplicity. But there's also a complexity. This is why we have psychologists. This is why we have theologians. This is why we have God's Word. This is why we interpret these things. And you would want, you would expect that there might be some complexity to this. So as we kind of work into this, let's at least give a nod to this idea that we want to embrace a level of complexity, but we also want the beauty of conciseness. And what Paul does here, what Paul does here, he offers a wonderfully concise roadmap to the movement of salvation. That he thinks that there are some good ways of thinking about how God is doing this, and there are some ways we ought not to think about how God is doing this, and what God's role in this process is, and what our role in this process is, and which things are most primary and which things are more secondary. And so as we work through this, and just as we walk through this passage, he really, Paul is going to say, look, salvation is about three things. It's about three things, which makes, makes him a good preacher because that's a good sermon, right? Three things. 
It's about grace. It's about faith. And it's about works. And these all have some kind of relationship. There's a better way to think about those three things working together. And there's a not-so-good way of thinking about those three things working together. And Paul is going to lay this out. So, I just want, I want to talk about these three things, and then I want to uh, kind of talk about the priority in this and how this might affect us. Are you guys still with me? I mean, we've already made it through the salvation bit. I've already used the word a paraphrastic perfect, and so we, three times now. So, yeah, I think we're all together. All right, if not, you'll be woken up at the end for the last song. Okay, here we go. All right, so Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. All right, here's the first thing. The first thing is grace, and I want to talk about the primacy of grace. If there's one thing that makes this whole thing work, this whole thing run, it is the idea of grace. If there is a foundation, it's the idea of grace. If, it is, if, you're in, if you're on a planet and you're breathing in oxygen, that is the nature of grace. It's the atmosphere in which our salvation takes place. We first saw the idea of grace back in 1-7. You can look back there just one paragraph earlier. In 1-7 it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. If you look back up in verse 7 in our passage, 2-7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Whatever grace is, there's a ton of it, that there's riches of it, that there's storehouses of it, that it, it is lavished. We talked about in 1-7 that it's actually this, that he, gra- he gives with grace, he graces with grace. There's so much grace. And we noted that the idea of grace is this idea of goodwill or favor from God, but it's goodwill and favor that's not, that is not obligatory. In other words, so in the ancient world, in the ancient world, um, by, by the way, one thing that I re- notice that I do is I start a sentence and I don't finish it. I just, I kind of, uh, I move into another thing. My wife reminds me of this. It's one of those things. Um, you'll just have to learn to love me, I suppose, in that, and be patient to get all the words out that I need to get out. Okay. All right. So, Grace. What is grace? Grace is the idea of goodwill or favor, and it's not obligatory. In the ancient world, what you had was, and we talked about this two weeks ago, what you had is this idea of patrons and clients. Patrons were high, clients are low. And that if you wanted to ingratiate yourself to a patron, you would do things for them. And then the patron would, re- would reciprocate out of obligation back to you. So if I wanted, if, if I asked you over for dinner and I, put on a, and I put on a dinner for you, then you would think, well, okay, now it's my turn. I've got to put on a dinner for them. And so, and oftentimes you would find in the ancient world that people who kind of wanted to climb or wanted favors done, they would begin by doing a favor and they would then expect a favor in return. And sometimes patrons would give, but they would always give with strings attached. 
and that it was, it was what we call patron-client relationships. And there was always another patron higher than the previous patron. And so there was always some kind of finagling and giving and receiving out of obligation that was happening all the way up, all the way up to the Caesar. He was the highest patron. And so you would, you would kind of move along the scale, but there was always a sense of obligation. With God, with God, there is no higher patron and when you read the New Testament, what is, what's fascinating is that for all the talk about patron-client relationships in the ancient world and in the literature, God never implies that he is a patron and we are clients. Let me say that again. In the New Testament, there's so much talk outside of that about patron-client relationships. In the New Testament, God never implies that we are his clients and he is our patron. You want to know the language that God likes to refer to himself and us as? Father, son, child, daughter. Those are not obligatory relationships. Those are relationships of love, not obligation. It's not, it's not about earning, there's not the earning of patron-client, it's about God giving His grace. You've probably heard it as unmerited favor, unearned favor. If there's a beginning, if there's a beginning to this whole thing, it is God saying, I want to give them favor. And we know it's not because of us, because it's when it's while we're what? It's while we're dead. It's while we're weak. It's while we're sinners. When at our worst, that's when God reaches out to us. Why? It's at the at just the right time. Why? Otherwise, we might think it's otherwise we might think he's our patron and we're his client, and we're we're met, we have to reciprocate. He's simply saying, no, 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 no. My own good pleasure, my own will, it's my own choice. I am choosing this. It's not because of you. I'm not, there's nothing about you that attracts me to you. As a matter of fact, everything about you is pretty repulsive. Like you're weak and you're sinful. You've rebelled against me. But that's when God says, okay, I'm going to open my arms. And my posture towards you in the world, even though you're weak, sinful, rebellious, I'm going to reach out to you. That's the beginning. That's the ground. That is where salvation takes place. Salvation is not by faith. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. I'm off my notes now, so I got to go back and see where I'm at. All right. Because I'm pumped up, right? Like, here's the deal. When God, I'm not going back to my notes. <laughs> because when God, what God seems to think is the place where the most transformation will take place is in an environment of unconditional love. I mean, look, you can, make no mistake, you can transform a person's life through manipulation and guilting them. You can do that. And there's plenty of people who will try to do that, right? You can do that. It will not end well. They'll resent you. Like, you might, it might be effective in the short term, but in the long term, it will cause resentment. And you know what God does? He says, I'm not, I'm not going to manipulate Frankly, I'm stronger than that. Frankly, I, I'm, I'm more powerful than that. And the best way that I'm going to do this is I'm, I'm going for the long play and I'm going for love because I know that if I give them, if I want to change a life, 
I bring them into an atmosphere of unconditional acceptance, and I pour out love on them, and I shower them in grace, because I know that rescue from danger, there's plenty of ways to rescue from danger. I'm not going to manipulate them out of their danger. What I'm going to do is I'm going to love them. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to adopt them as children. Do they deserve it? No, I'm just going to bring them in. I have so much love. I'm just going to bring them in, and then I'm going to shower them. I'm going to just steep them in. I'm going to marinate them in it. And it's going to soften them. And they're going to begin to see it. And it's going to begin to change them. And it's going to begin to move them. And when God wants to change a life, He does it by grace. That's the way that God works. Salvation is not by works. It's not even by faith. It's by grace. You have been saved by grace because that's who God is. All right, all right, now back to the notes. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own. It is a gift of God. Salvation is by grace, but, and again, we're on a little, uh, we're on a prepositional journey here. It's by grace, but it's through faith. It's through faith. And if you will, if grace is where salvation happens, if, and I would just say this, grace is this idea that God's arms are open, that God's posture towards you, and I would even say that God's posture towards the world is this one of open arms of invitation, okay? And that that's, 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 the, that's the grace. What I, one of the things, um, well, let's, let's finish this out, and then I'll, I'll, we'll talk about where I talked about. We talked about faith. Um, we talked about it at length when we, in the sermon about um, the Pauline triad, faith, hope, love, and that extra power, faith, hope, love, and power. Faith is equated, in our world, faith is equated with this idea oftentimes of intellectual assent, like, do you believe this about Jesus? Is Jesus the Son of God? And you say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Ah, that's faith. Like, that's, that might be part of it, but that's not the entirety of what faith is is. Faith is this idea. I think the best short definition of faith is trusting God and entrusting yourself to Him. The term in Greek, pistis, is this idea of trusting and entrusting yourself. So we also talked about this, if you were here for that Sunday, we talked about the idea that faith is kind of the fundamental direction and orientation towards your life. It's the fundamental question. It's the question, do you have a life that is directed towards God or not. And a life directed towards God, like fundamentally directed towards God, looking to God for, your, for, for your, your guidance, looking to God for your salvation, looking to God for next steps, looking to God for His opinion on things. Do I have a life that is fundamentally directed towards God? Am I trusting Him and entrusting myself to Him? Or not? And that's where, again, you're going to get so tired of me saying this, but this is where the idea of repentance comes from, right? It's turning, turn. And there's always, the, the beautiful thing about repentance is because of this idea of grace is that there's always like, what will happen if I turn toward and have faith and toward the direction of God? The answer is he will open his arms because salvation is by grace. That's his posture. 
We turn towards God. That's faith. Faith is the idea of trusting God, trusting Jesus, and entrusting yourself to Him and to His care. Trusting and entrusting. And this is where, even as I was doing this this last, uh, this last week, I was like, this is the, faith is a complex thing. And I think it's no wonder why maybe we have these overly simplistic definitions of what faith is. Like, faith is all I need to do is pray a prayer. Like, okay, that's, that's part of it. Or faith is this idea of believing certain things. Okay, yes, that's part of it. But faith is just this simple idea that are you facing towards God? Are you looking towards Him? And this is where I think the idea of like set it and forget it is is not the whole idea of salvation, that salvation is like you don't forget it, it's actually your point of focus. It's your point of direction. Faith is not simply knowing that something is true. Faith is this fundamental orientation towards God that we've entrusted ourselves to Him If he says something in his word or through his spirit, we say, that's a good word. God is good. Faith is our entry point into salvation. If salvation is by grace, the entry point into salvation, even if God is fundamentally like he has open arms, Turning toward him is the entry point into salvation. There's no way, there, you, you, can't, you can't enter into salvation if you're not turned toward God. And again, the, one of the things, faith is not a work, and we'll get into that in just a second, but, and you don't get brownie points for doing it either. You don't even get brownie points for keeping doing it. That's simply the fundamental posture that God has created humans to have is to have a fundamental posture that's directed to him. The fall has moved us off of that fundamental posture. So no brownie points, you're just being human. You're being really good humans when you face God. There's no brownie points, it's not a work. It's simply the posture that God has created us to be in to thrive as humans. Salvation is by grace, but the entry point is faith turning toward him. All right. I guess one question. What if my faith falters? Like, okay, right? Like, is anybody thinking this? Like, what if I, like, oh my gosh, you know, and and I get distracted and I move off. And here's the thing, we're still in this web, are we not? We're still in this web of of this interlocking directorate of anti-human and anti-God powers in this world that are doing everything they can to distract us from the one place we ought to be facing and move us towards another place. We are in the middle of a web that is doing everything it can to move us off of this posture. So what happens if I do? Well, what God says is, this is why I've done it all by grace. So that you'll know that if you move off this posture, there is always, there's always welcome to come back in. There's always welcome. There's always going to be grace. There's riches of grace. There's storehouses of grace. Grace. 
And this is why God creates an environment of unconditional love and acceptance. So that when you stumble or when you doubt, you would not wonder about God's response. Romans 5 puts it this way. It says, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And I would say this, if you've put your faith in Jesus, okay, you have received access into this grace in which we now stand. That we stand in grace. We are in the midst of grace. We are surrounded by grace. We are, again, God has said, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to surround you. I'm going to soak you. I'm going to, you're going to steep in it. You're going to marinate in it. You're going to stand in it. You have received access into this grace by faith, and you stand in grace. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Because your fallenness hasn't gone away. God is in the process of disentangling your fallenness. Like we're in the process of, remember, he, he, he paid for forgiveness on the cross in the past. He's in the process of disentangling you from, the, from this world. And one day he's going to make all things right. This is salvation. And in the meantime, while the disentangling is happening, he knows that what you need is you need sure hope because of what Jesus did. We're in this overlap of the ages. We're in the overlap where, there's a, where there is literally spiritual war. There's powers that want to see you go down, and there's God and what he is doing in this world. And the question is, which, will, which path will you be on? Which sphere will you be on? Salvation is about disentangling you from the powers of this world and your own fallenness and moving you into the kingdom of his marvelous light. You've been saved by grace through faith. You were delivered from sin and death by means of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're being disentangled from the web of powers that seek to form, distract you. And you can be sure that God is going to make all things right. He's doing this. This is grace. I think the interesting thing, too, is we think, okay, God, here's the interesting thing. So God, you're like, okay, so grace is God's part and faith is my part. Here's the deal. Grace is not even yours. Like, Jesus invented faith. He's the author of faith. I mean, in some, you, you can even get into conversations about, is it even your faith that saves you or is it the faith of Jesus that saves you and you simply participate in the faith of Jesus? Like, talk, blow, talk about blown mind. You, you don't get any credit. God is, I mean, even if you look at this, like, it's like God has done this grace thing, Jesus has done this faith thing, and that even the works that you do are prepared by him. Like, this whole thing is amazingly God-centered. God has a plan. Um, believe it or not, he's not making it up as he goes. So there are some things that come after grace and faith. 
the beginning of salvation. Look at uh, 2.8 again. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. And the idea is that it's not that grace is a gift or faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Okay? Salvation is the gift. Um, Okay, never mind. That's too far in the weeds, everybody. Um, Okay. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, there's a couple of responses that are not appropriate, okay? The first response is that's not appropriate is boasting, which is basically the idea of taking credit for it. And the problem is, we are totally in a society where everybody, everything that goes well, everybody wants to take credit for. I mean, just watch politics. Like, try to get, an, try to get a politician to admit wrongdoing, or a bad policy or something like that. It's like people are just, all they want to do is take credit, and this is on both sides of the aisle. All they want to do is take credit. No one will ever own a, a mistake. Like that's not a help, that's what we call dysfunction, right? Like that's a dysfunctional relationship. And it's, it's hard because, I mean, anyway, you guys get the idea, you watch the news. Um, but one response that's not appropriate is boasting. We, we do not boast in that we cannot say that we've done this. Anything that has gone right is not our fault or is not our, we don't get credit for it. That grace is from God, faith is not a work, and even that faith might not be ours, it's Jesus' faith. We're just kind of approximating Jesus' faith in this whole thing. And we don't do it by some internal energy. You don't get any extra credit for turning to God. But what is, what is appropriate is this idea that there's two ways your life can run. You can run on guilt, like that's, that's, a, that's a very powerful fuel, and other people will guilt you and manipulate you and will use that, and it's a very powerful fuel, it'll get you to do a lot of things. It's not a very clean fuel, like it'll burn, it'll burn bad, or your energy, your life, what you do in your life can run on gratitude. Gratitude might not be as powerful a fuel in the short term, but gratitude runs clean. Gratitude is, gratitude is a healthy fuel to run on. And with this idea that God, by grace, that salvation is by grace through faith, that it's not something that you can boast or earn on your own, God, what's the proper response to that? I think some of you guys might be thinking, look, Craig, all that sounds awesome. All that sounds awesome. But what's to stop someone from just walking all over God? What's to stop someone from just saying like, yeah, I've got, I've got faith. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And I hope that's not the impression that I've given you about what the nature of faith is. But, um, but here's my thing. This is what I would say. I would say, you know, if, if Kelly came up to me and was like, look, Craig, I love you. And I, I am committing my entire life to you. And look, if you are ever sick or you were ever injured and you couldn't get, like, I would help, I would take care of you. What, if my response is, you know what I really want to do is I want to cheat on Kelly. Like, how horrible does that sound, right? That doesn't, that, that's, not, that's not even a human response. That's not even a fallen human response. Like, we would look at that in our own fallenness and be like, man, that's messed up, Right? Like, even in our fallenness, we recognize that's, all, that's not a real human response to that. What we find is that when someone 
gives up themselves for us and makes those promises, it actually moves us in gratitude. It moves us closer to that person. Like, we ask this question, like, how can God do it like this? Isn't he taking a massive risk? Like, God's like, look, I know how people work. I know what the right fuel people need to run on. I don't want to get the right results with the wrong fuel. I'm going to get the right results with the right fuel, and that is going to be grace, and I'm going to trust. They're going to trust me, and I'm going to trust them because why? Because we're a family. That's how I want us to behave. Because at the end of the day, our goal is to love. It's not just to obey. It's to love. And the response here is gratitude. You can feel gratitude, the energy of gratefulness. The power of the Spirit then begins to energize us towards serving the King. Kingdom-minded effort. I love how Dallas Willard, he talks about it. Look, salvation is not by works, but on the other, on the other end, see, it doesn't, we can get, we can get uh, it, it's not about works, but it doesn't mean that there's not effort involved, but effort is not on the front end of salvation, it's on the back end. It's not salvation by effort, and then by effort, then you get grace. See, this is the thing, you can always put these in different orders, like, what if faith came first and then grace? Like, in order to get grace, you've got to have faith first. Like, that means that grace is not as significant. It's important. Grace, faith, and the byproduct of that whole thing is the works that God has prepared beforehand, that God has put ministry before us, and we would say, God, you put this ministry before me. Why would I not step into it? I trust you. You're good. You've put this work in front of me. Salvation is by grace. Through faith, we turn to face God And in our gratitude and the power of the Holy Spirit, we do the work that God has set before us. That is salvation. That's salvation in 30 minutes or longer. Um, Okay, so here's, here's my question for you guys. We probably break into two parts in this, in this congregation. People who need to lean into the idea that you stand in grace. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Maybe there's some earners in here. Maybe there's people like the prodigal son who come home and they're like, don't make me a son, make me like one of your hired workers. I'm much more comfortable earning my keep here in this household. God's going to say, yeah, we're not going to do it that way. Like, we're going to make you my son. We're going to put a robe on your back. We're going to put a ring on your hand, right? You're my son. I'm not going to make you a hired worker. But there's many of us who like to be hired workers, wage earners. And for you and me, what we probably need to do is we need to reflect on this idea that I currently stand in grace. Nothing you can do or not do that's going to make God love you more or less. He's already chosen to love you with everything He's got. Okay? And if that's you, I would urge you this week to take some time and to reflect on that. If you have questions, give me a call, email, let's go for coffee, let's talk about that idea. That might be some of us. On the other hand, there might be others of us who are like, I understand that I stand in grace. What I need to lean into is the work that God has put before me. God has prepared works for us. God has prepared things in ministry for us to do. And you might be putting it off. You might feel like, well, I'm retired, and I, I've retired from work. Look, you never reti- you're a human being. You never retire from vocation. 
God, has cre- God created work before the fall. God put Adam in the garden and said, hey, I've got some stuff for you to do. That was before the fall. The work is not a result of the fall. Work is part of our humanity. And God, there's God-honoring work before you, whether you are eight years old or you're 80 years old, there's God-honoring work that is done out of the grace and faith and the gratitude of your salvation. And maybe if you're in here, and maybe what you need to hear is, there is work before you. Some of us need to hear, you got to stand in grace. Some of us need to hear, there's God-honoring work that's before us, and we need to get at it. Again, I don't want to guilt anybody. I just want to say, which one do you have a sense that you are, more or less? Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And with that said, I just, I just want us to spend a minute in reflection on just, the, just salvation, just this idea that we have been saved by grace. And Father, we want to just affirm right now that this is because of what you have done. You have poured out your love on us. When we're at our worst, you say, that's when I'm going to send my son to die on the cross. That's when I'm going to pour out my love by means of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And as uncomfortable as it might be, we want to lean into this idea that we have been saved by grace. Thank you, Father. We don't wonder where we stand with you. You rejoice that we come. No matter how forgetful we've been of God during the day, you rejoice that we come. And Father, we also pray that you would remind us, call to mind the work that you would put before us. That you would call to mind what you have for us. And maybe right now something is coming to mind. Father, give us the energy to pursue that thing. And Father, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.